the church experience online. We're so happy that you joined us today. As you watch this teaching video, if you have any questions or need help getting connected, please don't hesitate to reach out by phone or email. Also, our website is the best place to go if you'd like to access helpful growth step resources, join a serving team, connect in a life group, get your questions answered, or support this movement financially by giving online. At the end of this teaching video, you'll hear one of our Church Experience Worship original songs. We hope this gives you an opportunity to worship and reflect on what you learned. Thanks again for joining us at Church Experience Online. Happy anniversary, church experience. Come on. The thing that I think we're all so excited about is summarized really well by one of you last Sunday when we did a little survey. And the question was, how long have you attended church experience and what's God done to change your life to help you grow closer to him in that time? And one person wrote, I've attended for three years. I've grown so much. I have come from not knowing God to helping bring others to him. Isn't that what we want? We want to see that kind of transformation, deep transformation from people who don't even know Jesus to falling in love with him, growing with him. That's what we're excited about. And I'm so thankful for every single person here who's been a part of that. Your sacrifices, your serving, your time, your prayers, your generosity, every bit of that is going to change lives. And I just want to thank you so much for your investment. Right on? Well, today's message I'm really excited about because we're going to go on a ride. And, and I think we like rides here in, in Florida, Central Florida. We love rides. I mean, think about it. We have, we have Disney. We have Busch Gardens. We have SeaWorld. We have Universal. We have Legoland. We have more rides here than any place I'm familiar with in the entire planet. Like, we love going on a great ride. Would you agree? I and mean, we all love a good ride. But here's the thing. There's no more exhilarating ride that you can ever go on than what we're talking about today. I've titled today's message, Unchanging Mission. Unchanging mission, because God has a mission for you as a believer, as a follower of his, a mission where he wants to use you. And I'm telling you, there is nothing like this ride that you can experience in our world other than following Jesus in this way. And so I want to take a fresh look at a classic passage of scripture, one of Jesus' most famous quotes. And it gets thrown around from time to time, and it's, it's really powerful. But I want to take just, again, a fresh look at it today, get a little deeper into it, because I think there's some rich treasures here for us as we go on this mission together. If you would look with me in the book of Matthew, chapter 28, down in verse 18. Then Jesus came to them. He came to his followers, and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Everybody say, Go. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you. Everybody say, with you. I am with you always to the very end of the age. And, and this text right here is so powerful. I hope it sets some people's hearts on fire here today because God has a mission for you and for us. A mission that is like no other mission. It involves the transformation of human souls for all of eternity. 
It involves the transformation of families and lives and people who feel upside down and inside out being transformed and God using them and growing them. It is an incredible mission that he wants you to be a part of. And he's going to invite you further into that mission today, I believe. And that's my prayer. But there's a, there's a general and a specific mission in this passage. When he tells his followers, he tells his church to go and make disciples Make, make new disciples and baptize them and then, and then teach them to obey everything I've taught you. Teach them to live it out. He's talking about two words that we use a lot in, in the church, and that's evangelism and discipleship. He's talking about outreach, seeing people who don't yet know Jesus come to know him. And then he's, he's talking about seeing people who are uh, following him. They've committed growing to apply everything that they've been taught because information Married to application equals transformation. And that's what he wants. He wants people just to know him, but then also help make him known in the world. And this mission is a general mission for all people, for all Christians, for all churches. But at the same time, how we live out that mission, how you live out that mission, and and how you live out that mission is very different than the person next to you. Because God's gifted you spiritually with some strengths and some abilities some experiences, a past that others don't have. It's a, it's a completely unique wiring that God has put inside of you. And there's people for you to reach that the person next to you can't reach. Not in the same way. And so there's a general mission that we all have to be committed to. But when it comes to the specifics of how we play out that mission, how we live out our vision, vision every church is different. Every person's different. And that's a good thing. The diversity of that is strong. See, Jesus, when he delivered this, he knew that times would change. They didn't have the internet when he delivered this. (laughs) They didn't have uh, big church buildings like this or microphones or guitars like like we know them. They were very different. I mean, they they had instruments, sure. They could gather, sure, but, but it was just different. And he knew that times would change. So he gave us an unchanging mission, but he knew that our tactics as a church would always have to be changing. He knew that. He knew that you can't do church exactly the same way in the first century that you do it in the 21st century. There's some elements... There will always be a part of God's church. But then there's some things we'll have to change. But as we've been talking about in this teaching series, our beliefs, our convictions are unchanging. So I think how this plays out, I put it in your teaching notes for us, is that our mission never changes, but our methods must change. So we always have to be committed to this mission to say, all right, God, I'm in. I want to see people come to know you. I want to be used by you to help people grow in their faith and be closer to you. But how you're going to do that in my life changes in every season. There's certain things I might do in my 20s that are going to be different than in my 60s. And and, and there's strengths in both of them, but they're going to be different. But but as I move throughout life, I have different opportunities, different experiences, different education, different relationships, different open doors. So, So the question is, God, how do you want to use me now in this season? God, what do you want to do in my life right now? Who are the people you've put in front of me? Think about that for you right now. Like, God, how do you want to express this amazing, unchanging mission now in my life? How do you want to use that? Well, how do we, how do we think about this? How do we take this into our lives and really walk out God's mission? How should we think and process this mission? I, I think it can be expressed by the statement that Jesus did the work for me And he expects me to work with him. And I'm going to explain that as we go along further. But I think this is really at the core of what I see the mission um, in in the Bible, not only in the New Testament, but throughout Scripture of how God works through his people. He says, I did the work for you. 
So your faith, your faith is how you access grace. It's not by works. So evident and so clear throughout Scripture. Like Jesus did the work for you. This is not a works-based religion. It's a, it's a faith-based relationship. So we access it by faith through the work that he did for us. But then once we come to experience that life-changing faith, Jesus says, now I have a work for you. He says, I've created you to do good works. He has this plan for your life. He wants to work through you. And so it's not just you working for God, it's you working with God. And I've spent too many years working for God. And in this season of my life, I find myself hungry to work with God more and more. Like, God, I want you to, I want you to work through me. I want to work in your power. I know I've got to work, but God, I want to work with you. I want to work with you. And how these two different things, faith and works, are expressed together, it's so important and intricate to our faith. Because faith without works, as it says in James, is dead. But yet if you try to live by your works, you'll die by your works because your works are not good enough. They'll never be good enough. So there's this, there's this really interesting paradox in Scripture where both of them play together. And, and, and I had something crazy happen in my life uh, just a few weeks ago that, that to me, as I look back on it, really represent, I think, God's heart for how we live out this mission. We had finished our, our great Christmas services, and what, what an amazing time celebrating the birth of Jesus, and I was exhausted, and we were going to drive that night about an uh, 18, 20-hour drive to get up to see our families in Indiana and Michigan, and I uh, get to go see all the cousins and all that, and we were excited, but we knew it was a long drive, and so after we got home and we finished everything uh, mid-late afternoon, um, I laid down to get just a quick nap because I was going to be the driver through the night while the family got sleep. And so I was exhausted. I could hardly sleep because I was filled with energy from these great services we had. And, and then I was also thinking of what was ahead of me, this long drive and the intensity of that. And so Jennifer was helping the kids get a few things pulled together, and they were working around the house. And, and I was kind of like half asleep when I heard this scream like you never want to hear in your own home. And my, my eight-year-old daughter, Kira, I recognized her voice, but it didn't sound like anything I ever heard come out of her mouth before. She screamed like, like, like she was dying kind of scream, just screamed out. And it, and it jolted me, and I jumped up out of bed and just instinctively, as a protective dad, ran to her. And she was there with a brother, and the other family was rushing to her, and blood was just pouring out of her face. I was like, what is going on? I mean, I was asleep one moment, and now my, my daughter, I have no idea what's happening. So I help, like, cup the blood so it's not getting all the house and walk her as she's screaming to the bathroom and try to help her clean up, figure out what's going on. And come to find out, one of my other kids was right next to her, and they were just having fun being kids and went to do a, a, a handstand. And as he went up to do a handstand, he kicked his heel back really hard, and his heel went up right into her nose. And just the blood just started gushing, and she was in instant pain. And, and so we really quickly realized that, like, this, this could be bad. Just the way she was responding, we never seen her respond like this. Just, okay, we, we got let's go to the, the urgent care and just see what's going on. And so, so I get in the vehicle, the family's at home, and I, I just drive her to the urgent care. I get in, I'm, I'm filling out the initial paperwork at the front desk. And after being there just a moment or two, um, my little eight-year-old girl, Kira, looks at me right in the eyes, and her eyes are open, and she says, Daddy, I can't see anything. And that, that scared me because I've never had an experience like that where she's looking at me and she's like, I can't see anything. And I, I looked up at the nurses who were checking us in and they're like, you need to go to the ER. So we, we rush out to the, to the vehicle and she can start to see again. And, and, and we get in the vehicle and we're driving over to the, the Meese Countryside Hospital. And as we're on our, our way there, she says, Dad, I can't stay awake. And she's like, my heart's beating really fast. 
So we get there, and I'm thinking, this is, I don't know what's going on, but I know it's not good. And as we're walking in the door, she says, Dad, my heart hurts. And that was one of the scariest moments I can remember in my recent life. Like, I, I'm thinking, like, worst-case scenarios in my mind, like, like, like is she going to make it, you know? And, and I, I had no idea what had happened in her brain and what, there could be bleeding or what, what's going on. And so we get in there, and thankfully, as we got in there, we were, we were surrounded by some great care. And thank you for those of you who work and, and, and helping people in, in health. Oh, man, that's just so amazing. This, they came around us. They, they, they took good care of her. We did some x-rays and all that, and they said, we think she's going to be just fine. And we were there for a while, but, man, God's peace came over us in that moment. And I'm so thankful that she was okay, and we were able to leave later that night, but kept a close eye on her and just thanking God that, that nothing worse happened. But, but that moment when I was driving from the urgent care to the emergency room. I've had a few moments in my life where I felt that intense, knowing that, that my daughter has just told me, and I don't, I'm not a medical professional. I have no idea what's going on. I just know she looked at me and said, I can't see anything. And now she's saying, I can't stay awake. And my heart's beating. And she said, Daddy, I'm afraid. And I was afraid. But God was right there in that moment. And I was doing two things. I was doing two things. I was bombing heaven with prayers. It's like, God, help her, please. God, keep her safe. God, I don't know what's going on, but you know God, help us. And while I'm praying those prayers, I am doing everything I can to get to that hospital. I'm, I'm doing everything I can to care for my little girl. I'm, I'm doing everything I can to get her the help she needs. I'm praying in faith, and I'm working with everything I've got to get her the help she needs. And, and the mission that we have is so critical because lives are on the line Every single day, there's people perishing without the hope of Christ. People that you know and you love and you care about and that you interact with. And, and there's so many around us that don't know Jesus. And they're headed for an eternity. Our belief, our theology, our faith is that, 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 that they die without having the, the, the forgiveness of Jesus in their heart. They'll perish in an eternity without him. And our mission's so urgent. And how do we live that out when well, we do those two things? We, we bomb heaven with prayer and in faith, and we say, God, we need your power. We need you to do this. We can't do this. We need your help. But then we do everything we can in our power, in our one life, to help people come to know Jesus and be discipled and grow up in their faith and become mature. Like, that's how we live that out. It's, it's in those moments when we see. Like, if God could just dip your foot into hell for just a moment, so you could just see the future of the people who don't know Jesus. I think you'd come back and you'd live real different. I think we'd pray harder. I think we'd work harder. I think we'd be more intense. But so many of us are living like just for the pleasures of the world. Just I want to live a good life. I want to be happy. And, and, and I hope that today God wakes some of us up and says, you know what? There's actually a more exciting, better way to live than just to live in comfort. You could live in a calling, right? I mean, this is exciting. Instead of living for what's in it for me and saying, God, I want to live for you. I want you to use me in a powerful way to see lives transformed for all of eternity. This is how I want to live more and more because life's passing by. Every day you're getting older. You're getting closer to your finish line. How, how are you going to run your race? How are you going to end your race? I want to run my race full on for Christ. I want to live for things that are eternal, not earthly. I want to go back to Matthew 28. Man, I just, I love verse 18. I think... In verse 18, we see part of this mission, part of this application of the mission. And I want to speak to both sides of it, but I want to, I want to start with the, the faith part of our mission. Because I think this probably appeals to a lot of us in this room. And you're lacking power in your life. You're lacking, you're lacking the, the results that you want to see, the fruit. Maybe you're exhausted because you've been trying to be religious or trying to see God do things, but but you're just not seeing the impact you want, want to see. And you're tired. 
You're not, you're not seeing God work. And, and, and here in verse 18, I think it gives us a really important key to how we walk out the mission in a powerful way. Look with me. It says, Jesus' own words, all authority. That's a word of power, authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And that's followed with his amazing words, his commissioning to say, go and make disciples, all this. But it's preceded by this great statement where he says, all authority has been given to me. So Jesus says, I have all power. All the resources you need. Whatever it is that you think you need for this mission and more, I've got it. All authority. Resurrection power. Jesus had it. And, and he said, I'm with you later in the statement. But he says, I have all this power. Everybody say power. He says, I got this power. And before he commissions us, he reminds us where the real power is. And some of us are trying to work for God and we're tired because we're working, 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 and we're not seeing the fruit in our life. We want God to work through us and we want God to do things, but we're, we're still doing it in our own power and we forget that the authority is not ours. The authority is God's. The power is not yours, it's God's. So the power to be a great parent, the, to be a great spouse, to, to be an evangelist in our world, to, to, to live a godly life filled with character that's pleasing him and honoring him, like to do anything of significance, you need power. And Jesus says, I have the power. The power is mine. All authority. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, in light of that, in light of the fact that God has all power, you should go and make disciples. It's his power. Are you living in your own power? Is there a lack of faith in your life today? If you could just change one thing leaving here today that would go and transform your life this next week, it'd be just, I'd say to you, live in greater faith and expectation. Move to the edge of your seat. Enough of this casual Christianity and retreating into our comfort zones because it's a difficult world and, and say, no, God, you're greater, you're stronger. Whatever it is I'm up against, God, you're with me and you're all powerful. Think about that. Let that arrest your soul. Like God has all authority and he's with you and he's commissioned you. Not just people with a microphone in their hand, not just people who move across the ocean to do missions. No, you're a missionary right here. And he's given all authority, all power in his hand that he wants to flow through you. I think that Christians who err on the side of lacking faith and it's just all about their works and what they do, I think they can slip into religiosity and just going through the motions and it, it really easily grows cold. And maybe you've been there, maybe you're there today. I hope that God uses this today, his word to awaken your soul. Say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of being just casual and lukewarm. Like I, I, want, I want to have a passion for Jesus in my life that spills out like, like, you can have that. That's what Jesus wants for you. And so I hope that today that some maybe have been erring on that work side where it's all been about your work. Well, I read my Bible. I went to church. I did these good things. All those things are so important. But, but here's, here's, here's the message. Like, the most important thing is that you tap into the power source, the eternal power source of God and his power. Because if you do it on your own power, your battery is going to run low. Your motivation is going to weaken. And you're going to try to live out a Christian faith without Christ. You would never say that, but, but that's what it will be. It will be religion. And it will be weak. And it will be powerless. And there won't be fruit. But if you want to see fruit and power and life change, you've got to have a greater faith. Now, if I could, I'd like to, to switch to the other side of this. 
And, and I want to look down in Matthew 28 because Jesus, he, he speaks to not only the fact that he's given us authority, but if you, if you look back in this verse again, verse 18, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Then he goes on, he talks about going to making disciples and teaching people. But then he ends in verse 20 by saying, and surely I am with you. Everybody say with you. Say with you. He says, I'm with you. I'm with you in your journey. I'm with you in your valleys. I'm with you in your discouragement and your bad news. I'm with you all the time. I'm with you. I'm with you. You're not doing it alone. And the other side that I think people err on is they think mistakenly that it's only God. So it is all God. We'll agree on that, that it's all God. We wouldn't have breath without God. We wouldn't have anything without God. It's all God. But some people, I think, inaccurately understand Scripture, and they say it's only God. And they say, well, it's, it's only God. And, and here, don't misunderstand me. Here's what I'm saying by that. If, if you think that it's only God, then you'll be forever frustrated. You'll be forever frustrated by the, the lack of deep fulfillment and great progress in your life for God. You, 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 it's, it's like the person who says, I'm praying that God gives me a job. But then they don't do the work to go out and put out 20 resumes and, 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 and hustle and try to get that job. Now, does occasionally God just out of nowhere grant us through his kindness an amazing gift that we had nothing to do with all the time? Yes, absolutely. But does most often he work through people who work? Yes. You know, we, they say that we claim that we're waiting on God, but a lot of times it's God who's waiting on us. And he's saying, I've got a role for you to play. When he said, therefore, go, he was commissioning them to go do work for him. He said, I want you to go and make disciples. You ever try to make a disciple? We should all be making disciples. That's a lot of work. It's messy. Two steps forward, seven steps back. Like the, the messy internal fruit of a, a life, a freshly changed life. And it, it's not all together. It doesn't fit all in the boxes. And they're not growing the way that you want them to. You're pouring your life in. And, and, and they're making decisions like, whoa, that, did we just talk about this? Like, it's messy. But, but here's, the, here's the amazing and beautiful thing about it. It's not your work, it's God's work, but he still expects you to work for him. And Christians who err on the side of saying it's only God, again, we agree it's all God, but the ones who say it's only God, they won't do whatever it takes. In the end of the day, their comfort, their comfort will come over their calling. Because the, there'll be a point where they'll say, I'm too tired, I'm too exhausted, I'm too frustrated. It's, it's, just, it's, just, it's too much. Now, that can be a lack of walking in the power of God, but it can be someone who says, I am, I'm exempting myself from being used greatly by God because it, it's asking too much of me. Surely if God was in this, this would be easy. And most of the greatest callings that you see lived out in Scripture required a tremendous sacrifice by the person walking it out. Think about Moses and how God used him greatly and all that he sacrificed and all the, the effort he put in. Think about David and the battles that David fought. Now, God won the victories. God's going to see the victory. But David had to battle. Think about Jesus and his amazing sacrifice and all that, he, all that he went through. And even praying in the garden before the cross. Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. Sweating literally blood. God, if there's any other way. Think about Paul and all that he exerted. And he was shipwrecked and stoned and beaten. And he traveled around and he said, it's worth it. Whatever it takes for the mission. He knew it wasn't his work. He wrote the book of Romans and says it's all God's work. But he says, I still, I'm still going to work. It's not an easy mission. We had such a, 
amazing God experience this last uh, week or so. We, we were wanting to do something to celebrate yesterday. January 11 is, for our family, a really special day, and for our church family, a special day, because it's the day not only our church launched, so we're now five years old, which is incredible, but it's also on that exact day, the day that we moved to Florida six years ago. So we moved on January 11, 2014, and launched the church on January 11, 2015, and those, both of those dates were divinely planned by God. I could tell you some crazy stories, but the, the bookend of those dates, we saw God birth a church, his work, through those of us who were working, and it was amazing. And so we celebrate January 11 and just give God thanks for all he's done, and we wanted to do something great, but we didn't know what we were going to do. And we'd also, last year, wanted to take our kids to the, uh, a big worship concert that was in town, and it was just expensive, and like six tickets, and we're like, okay, let's, we're not going to do that. And, and, and we just, we kind of held off. Well, I had a friend call me up this last week, and, and he said, Brandon, uh, we have some tickets for a winter jam, if you'd like to go, and we have six tickets for you, and they're backstage passes. Now, I've never been to winter jam downtown uh, in the arena. Like, I, I've heard of it. It's incredible. 10,000 plus people there worshiping God. It sounds amazing. I've just never been. And, and they said, well, we got tickets for it if you want to come. We didn't know what to expect. We just sound like a great opportunity. We're like, well, this is a God thing, because we wanted to take our kids to a worship concert give them that experience, and we wanted to do something to celebrate. And so we showed up, and they, they took us backstage, and we got to see what's going on behind the scenes. They gave us front row seats, and one of the, the artists came off stage and gave my kid a high five. It was just something our family will never forget, like never forget. It was amazing just to worship God together with Jennifer and I and our kids, to just, just seeing them worship, and it was so powerful. But when we were backstage, uh, we got to talk to the tour director and kind of meet some artists and this kind of thing, and the, the tour director uh, told us a little bit about what they do. I had no idea. But they have 43 concerts that they go in big cities all around our country. 43 concerts over this winter season. And usually every weekend they're doing three or four, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday nights. Thousands of people, five to 15,000 people per venue in all these major cities. And last night was the, or the second show that they have done of these 43 concerts. The first one was in Jacksonville the night before. Here's what I want you to hear. The tour director said we were asking him questions, and I was just peppering him with just leadership stuff. How do you deal with all these different personalities as you're traveling around? How do you handle the problems that come up? I'm just trying to learn from him. And he said, he goes, so last night I got in my, my cot at 2.30. They ride in these, they sleep on these tour buses. They, 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 they work all day to set up. They have a concert. They break it down. They put it into the, and I was like, okay, that's familiar. I've done some setup before. I know what you're talking about. And so they, they load up these tour buses, and, and they'll leave. Like he said, 2.30 at night, they left Jacksonville. They'd done this big concert. And they knew they had another one the next day. So they drive all these tour buses, 100, 150 people that are part of the show. And they, and they travel. And they, and they drove through the night while they slept. And they arrived in Tampa early uh, Saturday morning. He says, we got here at 6.30 a.m. And that's when I got off the bus and I started working. I was like, so you've had four hours of sleep? He's like, yeah. And, and he's constantly on his phone solving problems. He has 150 people. He's got all these buses, all this equipment, 10 different bands, 10 different drum sets and guitars and all this stuff. It's, it's a logistical nightmare. I couldn't even fathom his world. But you know what? He had joy in his heart. He had a smile on his face as he's telling us about all the things that he's doing. And he's like, you know, it comes down to the why you're doing it. And they were telling us stories about people being saved and, and, and the amazing, incredible things that they've seen God do and change and transform lives. He was on a mission. I could see that in his eyes. He's like, he had, that was his, that's not my calling. It's like Jennifer, I talked later, we're so thankful that we don't live on the road. That's crazy stuff. But, but man, what, what an amazing calling. God's given him a unique, a unique vision. We're all on the same mission that he is. But he found his specific vision, and he's doing whatever it takes because he knows Listen, he knows that for God to work through his life, he's got to work. 
Now, he doesn't get four hours of sleep every night. There's no way you can sustain that. That wouldn't be healthy. God wouldn't want that. But on that night, he had to because they, it was their first show. The only, he did everything he could. He got in bed at 2.30. The next morning, he's up at 6.30. He worked all day, and they'd been working all night till that night. And he was so excited because they had an eight-hour drive to Alabama. He's like, I'm finally going to get some sleep. But when I read the Gospels and I see what, what, what Jesus gave, and I, and I read the epistles and I see what, what Jesus or what Paul and some of these other believers did and Peter and John and the sacrifice and the commitment, they knew absolutely, no uncertain terms, they said, this is, this is all God, but they knew it was not only God. They said, God, if you're going to use me, if, if you're going to use me to do something for you, then I know that I've got to put my effort in, whatever it takes. And some of us are not seeing the progress that we want in our marriages or in our families. We're not seeing God use us in ministry the way we want to. We're, we're not seeing the, the goals that God wants to do in your life accomplished. Why? Well, I don't know what side you err on. That first part we talked about, maybe you're doing it in your own power. Maybe you're tired and you're frustrated and you're not seeing fruit because you're doing it all in your own power. Your battery's always wearing down. Your motivation's always running out. And you try hard for a few weeks. It's the new year. And then by February, you're done. Maybe that's you. And you need to get some greater faith today. Maybe some of us in the room, we're a great faith-filled person, but we're just sitting around on the couch waiting for God to show up and do his thing, and God's saying, I'm waiting on you. Step up. Come on, I need you to work a little harder. If you want to see your friends come to know Christ, you need to pray harder, and you need to do some work to reach out to them and share the love of Jesus with them. So I want to go on this mission for me more and more. I want to see God do more in my life, and I know it's going to be a combination of his work and me working with him. I want to have a little fun with Florida people. You guys are... I've, Floridian for six years now. Some of you are born and raised, a few of you. Some of you, a lot of you have been here longer than me. And, and some of you, you've never seen snow before. So when I was up in Michigan, I was thinking about you. I made just a little quick video talking about our work and what God can do through us. Check it out. Hey, guys, just wanted to give you a little glimpse of what it's like where I grew up in Michigan. Some of you Floridians have never been around snow, so you've never got the privilege of blessing of building a snow igloo. Check this out. This is our, our snow igloo we've been working on. Jalen's been working hard. You can like, climb in there. This is just one night's worth of snow. Literally, we had green grass yesterday. So when you get multiple days of snow, you get a lot more volume and you can build some big stuff. But uh, I just wanted to show you guys a little bit of what it's like here in Michigan. And I also want to say, you know what? Building something simple like an igloo takes a certain amount of work. But the bigger that you want to build, the more impact you want to make in life, the more efforts required, the more sacrifice. You know, it takes sacrifice even to build something like an igloo. You got to get all geared up with your winter weather gear, and you got to come out and you got to shovel out the snow in a pile, and you got to dig at it. It takes a little while, but after you put in that effort, it looks pretty cool. Check it out. I mean, it's, it's pretty awesome. We made a little deal. But imagine if you put days or months or years into something, what you could see when you sacrifice, you make commitment, and you work hard. God can do great things. So I just wanted to show you guys a little lesson from the winter wonderland that is Michigan. Some of you just decided in your heart, I never want to leave Florida in my life. It's so cold. It's colder than it looks, actually, but it's beautiful. You know, when, when you put your, your work in, like God can do something great in your life. And it's fun. You get out there and you, you put your hands to work and you see God do something in your life. And in this case, you know, you, you put your physical work in and you see something formed. But here's what I want you to know, that if you do it all in your own power, if it's all your work, that igloo's not going to be there in May. It's going to melt. It's going to be gone. You don't want to get to the end of your life, and if you've done it all in your works, your things, your mission, but it's not God's mission, you don't want to get to the end of your life and have nothing to show for it. You walk into to heaven and, and thank God for his grace, you're saved. But he's like, what would you do with that time I gave you? 
Who else is here because of your life? What impact was made? You, you don't want to have all the work of your life been about your career and more possessions, more accomplishment, whatever. And that stuff just melts away. It's burned up. I want to live my life for something that's lasting. And the only way that I know to do that is to marry these two things we're talking about together today. God's power working through us as we work. And I put it this way in your teaching notes. We partner with God. That's the word. That's the heart of what I'm trying to get at today. If you want to go on this great mission with God, you've got to partner with him. You've got to partner with God. Look again at Matthew 28, 20. And surely I am with you. Everybody say with you. Surely I am with you to the very end of the age. One of the most comforting things is to know that God is with us as we work. He's with us on our mission. We're not doing it alone. God's divinely with us. There's so many times in these last five years that I just can't explain how God opened doors and the things that he did, the transformation. It's, it's been God. It's, it's his work as we've worked. It's amazing what God does. But it's all about who you're with. Fridays are the one day a week that, that I try to take time off and not do anything church experience related. And if there's an emergency that happens, I'm available and I try to to do what I need to do, but, but Fridays are usually the one day that I'm working. I believe in working as a pastor six days a week, and why, why do that? I, I used to, actually, when I was in my 20s, I worked five days a week. I'd, I kind of worked uh, Sunday through Thursday, and I'd take Friday and Saturday off. A lot of pastors do that, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I'm not faulting anyone for that, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I work six days a week, and the reason why, because I started thinking about it, I'm like, you know what? A lot of the people in our church, they work full-time. They work 40, 50, 60 hours a week in their jobs, and they're sweating it out. And then they come on Sunday, and they say, hey, we need you to volunteer. We need you to work. You know, this is important. It's God's work, and, I, and it is. It's so important. It's probably the most important thing most of us do all, all week is, is serving people and pointing them to Jesus. I'm like, how can I work four days and then show up on Sunday and say, that's my fifth day? Like, I, I work five days just like you, and I, I'm working really hard Monday through Thursday and Saturday. Some days, 18-hour days. A lot of days it's not that much, but I, I work hard. I'm just telling you that I'll work hard because I believe in it and I love what I get to do. But Sundays, I'm a volunteer like you. This is not a work day for me. And I never refer to my work as a work. It's a calling. And I've trained my, my family that and people around me. I don't, I don't, we're talking about it's, it's not a job. It's a, it's a calling. It's a ministry. Like I, I get to do this. I don't got to do this. I get to do this. But on Sundays for me, this is, this is for me. I, I, I just, I get to. God, if this is how you want to use me, then, then I'm available. And, and, and my point of where I'm going with this is it's about who you get to do it with. Who you get to do it with. And I was on Friday having a day off, and I was standing in Safety Harbor. My, my kids have a class that they go to, and I was there on the fishing pier. It's one of my favorite spots to go and pray. And I was standing out the edge of the fishing pier, and I'm looking out, and I'm just praying. And I'm thanking God. I'm praising God. It was a really powerful prayer time. And uh, before I left, this group of four came up and stood next to me. And, you know, if you've been out the Safety Harbor Fishing Pier, it's pretty wide out at the end of it. And they, they were, I'm guessing, in their 70s, give or take. Sweet group of people, two couples, the, the best I could figure it. And I was into what I was doing, but I could overhear what they were doing. And I, I would just started dying of laughter inside because one of the women in the group, one of the couples, looked at the other husband in the group, not her husband, and she I just, this is all peripheral vision, what I'm, I'm hearing. I'm not trying to eavesdrop, but I can't ignore what she's saying. She's looking at this other guy who's not her husband. And she says, you have a white nose hair. 
You have a white nose hair sticking out of your nose. Now, I'm imagining these two couples have known each other for decades. You know, they, they, they lived together in Iowa or New York or something. And they retired together in Florida. They've known each other. So it's like brothers and sisters. But she's looking at this guy who's not even her husband. You've got a white nose hair sticking out of your nose. And she's pointing at him. And, and he's, like, not freaking out about it. He's like, oh, okay. And, and she's getting up close to him. And she's trying to pull it out of his nose. And they can't get it out, and they're talking about it for like 60 seconds, and I'm over here increasingly just trying not to bend over laughing. I'm like, are you kidding me? This is, this is really happening. And I'm trying not to stare, but I'm just blown away by this. And then she says, I've got some scissors in my purse. <laughs> I don't know if the scissors actually came out, but at some point they realized, because there was other people on the pier too, they realized what was going on, and I heard some word about this being embarrassing, and they, they exited, but I was like, God, thank you. I needed entertainment today. Uh, but you know, I just picture the camaraderie of they've known each other so well, and they can authentically go into those very embarrassing moments, and they can just, they just there's, no, there's no, like, facade, there's no pretending who they are. They've just, they've grown up together, and, and man, I, 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 love, I, I love the fact that they were so close. They could, they could have those intimate interactions, and this one a funny one, but, but you could tell that there was history there. And I, I love that we're, we're getting to this five-year anniversary. We have some history together. I hope God gives me decades to get to serve him. And, and I hope that, that one day that, that I get to hand it off to the next generation and they take it and run it. And I can just kind of be there to support and encourage them along. But it's really about who you get to do it with. And some of us are missing out on the greatest part of life, not only doing relationships with other people, but doing mission with God. You're running ahead in your own or you're you're waiting on other God to do it. And he's saying, hey, I want you to come along with me. It's a partnership. Maybe you want to circle that word there. We partner with God. We partner with him. Look back at Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20 one more time. We'll put it up here on the screen. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is what our church should be about and every church should be about. And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. It's an action to teach them to obey, to, to live it out, to be transformed, to go and do that. And I was kind of wondering what, which one is more important. Because he's talking about at the beginning when he says make disciples, we use the word discipleship as developing believers, but he's actually using that as an evangelistic statement because he said go and make new disciples, essentially, because he says right on the heels of that, baptize them. So go reach out to people. And then he says, can we put that verse back up here again? Then he says, not only after that, he says go and make disciples, then he says teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So teach them to obey, to live this out to apply it to their lives, to be, to be developed. We talk about spiritual development, spiritual formation, discipleship. And so both of these things are really important, helping people become the beautiful, amazing person on the inside God wants them to be and helping people go from death to life. So evangelism and spiritual development, both of them are here. And I, I found myself thinking, like, well, if we're going to try to live out this mission as a church and if you're going to try to live it out in your life, what, what's most important? What should I give more energy to? Because on the one hand, Luke 19.10, Jesus says, I've come to seek and save the lost. That seems to be his one-sentence mission statement. seems like that people who don't know Jesus are headed for an eternity without him. It seems like that's super important. There's so many things we could talk about how, but why, why evangelism is really important. But then on the other side, it seems like if we develop people and they really come to know Jesus and they become amazing and incredible and beautiful people, then they're going to naturally, you know, they'll know us by our love and they'll, and they'll be just drawing in. And, and as we grow and we become strong, then, then other people can see that and we can be light. And so what, what, which one should we give more effort to? And as I, as I really wrestled with this and prayed through and thought through this message, I, I think to me it seems like God's saying both. 
I think he's saying both. I think, I think simultaneously we're supposed to be reaching out to our community. And one of the things our leadership team has been talking about is how can we do more outreach? We, we've done a lot of outreach, but how can we do more of it? But yet at the same time, I found myself fascinated with this idea is how, how can we develop people more? How can we help people grow and be more spiritually mature? Not just check the box Christian on a census or something, but to really know and love Jesus. How can we do both? It doesn't seem like Jesus gave us the option to exclusively pursue one of those. He said both. Everybody say both. And if you hear someone teaching, hey, just do the one to the loss of the other, I think to me that's an imbalanced view of Scripture. I think we're supposed to call to equally simultaneously be doing both. If you're not reaching out to the, the lost, then I think you're missing part of the mission. And if you're not developing those who are saved, I think you're missing part of the mission. For the final kind of application of this, I want to give you some practical handles. I know this felt maybe a little bit like a theology class in school, and we're talking a little bit about the why behind and the methodology of mission. But really where I've been trying to build a ramp up to something, I've been trying to build a road to something, and it's, it's this last part of, of the message here. I want to give you some handles that you can take and run with this this week and how you can live out the mission. And it really comes from a really uh, amazing experience that some people had with Jesus in John chapter 1. And I just want to briefly read that to you. In John 1, look along with me at verse 35. It says, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, so Jesus just walking by, he said, look, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God. Verse 37, when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following, and he asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Now listen to his response in verse 39. He says, come, he replied, and you will see. Come, and you will see. A lot of tribes within Christianity, different denominations, different groups, they have all their buzzwords. I've lived long enough now to see different words and trends come and go, and people describe, you know, what kind of mission we should be about, what kind of vision we should be about. And I hear all different kinds of words, and, you know, there's people saying we should be attractional. We should make the church so amazing and incredible that people are attracted to Jesus. And then there's people that say we should be missional. We should go out and we should be on mission and go bring them in and all that. And I think both, okay, all that. Let's do all that. But I thought, you know, it's about time that I that – I, I get a word. I, I, I want, it's about time I, I'll come up with a word, and I didn't invent this, but, but I see it here, and I see it all throughout Scripture if you look. I, I mean, attractional is great, missional is great, all the different words that people use, but, but I think invitational. I, I'm thinking invitational because look what Jesus says. He says, come follow me. Come follow me. If you want to be my follower, come follow me. He invites us. And I, think, I see all throughout Scripture how Jesus has what I put in your notes, an invitational ministry. So how can we apply the mission? How can we be a greater part of what God's doing? I think it's an invitational mission, one that we accept and one that we extend, an invitational ministry, invitational. Because if, if, you, if you look close, you're going to see this all throughout the Bible. When you read your Bible this week, I, I think you're going to see this. I think you're going to see it leap off the pages that Jesus is always inviting me into something. He's always asking me to invite others into things. Look at, at John chapter 1. Look down at verse 40. It says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, now, this is the Peter who would go on to be the rock and that Jesus would use so greatly. He says, one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon. Excuse me, this is the Peter, that, this is the rock. He went and found Simon and he told him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. We found him. And he brought him to Jesus. Do you see that? He brought him. He invited him. First thing he did, I'm going to go invite somebody else. Jesus looked at him and said, Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which is translated as Peter. He's like, I got a calling for you in your life. And that invitation led to transformation in his life. Look down at John 1, 42. 
It says, he brought him to Jesus. He invited him. Look at John 1.43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, what? Follow me. Everybody say, follow me. Follow me. Look at John 1.46. If you go down in this chapter, it said, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked, come and see. Everybody say, come and see. Do you see it? There's, there's all these invitations. It's like, come on, come on, let's, let's go. There's an invitation, let's go. And in your teaching notes, Jesus invites me to three things. I'm going to give you real fast here. Three things that you can take this week and go do. He invites me to move closer. If I want to take this mission, I've got to start with getting closer to him. And we gave you the, these crosses. We're giving you these crosses today. And they're, uh, they're made of an olive tree near Bethlehem where Jesus was born. And what began near Bethlehem is still alive here, here in Dunedin and Palm Harbor and Clearwater and all this throughout this area. Jesus wants to take his message that he began all those years ago in Bethlehem, and he wants to use you. And I hope this will be a reminder. You can set it somewhere and let this be a reminder and say, you know what? Jesus, I, I want to move closer to you in 2020. If I do nothing else in 2020, if I don't accomplish anything, if life doesn't go how I want it to, there's one thing I can't control, and I can get closer to you this year. You've invited me to follow you, so Jesus, I'm going to respond, and I'm going to get closer to you. I want to encourage you, like I did last week, to get a plan. To get in God's word every day. And if, if you want to go get a new Bible or devotional book and you want to, you know, write in it and make notes and bring it with you to service, I think that's awesome. If, if you're in a technology and you want to get the YouVersion Bible app and go on a lesson plan with some friends and make notes on there and save it and, and maybe listen to it like they did in the New Testament. And Paul would write a letter and they'd stand up in a church and someone would read it to him. You can actually take the NIV and you can listen to the audio version. of it. However you want to get it, just you need to get God's word into you this year. Move, move closer. Everybody say move closer. Number two is serve more. He invites me to serve more. And one of the gentlemen that's in this service, Jim Keller, I'm looking at you right there in the back row, sir. I honor you today and respect you so much. Jim is one of the first people I met when I came to Florida. He's been with us throughout this journey. And, and, and Jim is a retired pastor. And I don't even know if that word retired is, it really means anything because he's still pastoring and loving on people. And he's going to hospitals and, and he's ministering to people. He's a chaplain. He's, he does all these incredible things. But Jim, his primary role here on Sundays that I see him, how I see him, is he's always out there at the door holding the door for people. He's a door holder. And, and Jim, for decades, used to be on a stage preaching about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the spotlight was on him. But you know what he knew? Is that the spotlight was on him, but it was never for him. It was always for Jesus. And he used that spotlight to reflect the light of Christ. And now he's doing the same thing. He's not like, I've, I've, met, I've met so many people who just, they don't get this. And, and, and Jim, he's like, you know what? It's not about me. It's not about me. Whether I'm on a stage or I'm holding a door, it's about Jesus. And Jim, can we just honor Jim for a second for all the decades that you served? He's a door, door holder. And one day I aspire to do the same thing, to be a door holder for the next generation and say, hey, I'm just, I'm here to serve. It's not about me. It's about you, Jesus. And I think God's calling all of us into serving more and whatever that looks like and whatever way you need to be a door holder. Maybe you need to stand with a microphone in your hand and you need to sing like never before. Maybe you need to, to be behind the scenes and behind a curtain, so to speak, that no one sees you setting up and moving things and nobody even knows about it but Jesus. But find your unique strengths and gift and say, Jesus, I want to serve more. I want to serve you. Because when you serve, you grow spiritually. You deepen your ownership in God's church. You build friendships. You develop skills and leadership. And God uses you to find great fulfillment in your walk with him. Finally, invite others. Invite others. So Jesus has invited you, and one of the ways that you can be a part of his mission is you can invite others. You can invite others out to Starbucks, and you can sit down over coffee, and you, you can listen to their story, and you can share your story. 
you can invite others into a conversation where you share the gospel with them, that Jesus lived and died for them and, and resurrected and has a plan for them. You can do something simple, and this is probably the first step for many of us, is you can invite them to come and sit with you in a service. It's amazing to me how many people are making invites in our world to things that matter so much less than the gospel. I got this text over Christmas, and I was thinking, anything but my vehicle that has 230,000 miles, but my mechanic was thinking about me. He says, hey, Brandon, Chris here from Murray Motive. Uh, haven't seen you lately, which I'm thinking is a good thing. And he says, how are you? How's the Buick? Yeah, it's doing good, man. It's still cruising. We're still rocking and rolling. And, and you know, he, he was thinking, and, and I, I'm imagining they do this to all their, their clients, and it's like, hey, we're just, just staying top of mind. You know, we're inviting you, and if you need help, you know, come on. And it's like, if, if they'll go to that kind of length to serve people and keep their vehicles on the road, why in the world would we not send a text message to somebody we know that doesn't know Jesus and say, hey, would you come sit with me next Sunday? Hey, would you, would you come with Hey, would you want to go out for Starbucks? Hey, can I, is there anything I can do to help or pray for you? I think the church needs to step up and do more inviting. I think we have an invitational ministry and opportunity in our culture that we're missing to invite others to experience Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity next Sunday to do this. We're going to have a pizza tasting party. So here's your excuse to tell your friends. We did this the second Sunday that the church launched over at the high school. Our second Sunday, we had five different vendors that provided pizza, local places that we wanted to give people different tastes of different food. And uh, you can come, and they're going to cut them in 16th slices, so you can just go around and not fill up and just have a bunch of pizza. And we're going to do that next Sunday after the second service. So those of you who are in the 930 service, just come back and join those in the 11 o'clock service. Come back around 12, 15, 1230. We're going to have a big party outside and hang out and football and cornhole. they got some great plans for us. But it's just going to be a great time next Sunday. So invite your friends to come with you. Say, come sit with me, and then let's, let's have some pizza. I hope that you'll come and that you'll invite others to join you. We have an invitational ministry, and today God is inviting you to experience his presence more and be used more by him. Right on. Thanks again for joining us today at Church Experience Online. Please don't forget to check out the website if you'd like to get more connected, learn more, get your questions answered, or support the movement financially. You're now going to hear a Church Experience Worship original song. We hope this gives you an opportunity to worship and reflect on what you learned today. Calling us to be your hands and feet. 
Drawing us near Invited to your kingdom 